Good morning, and welcome to episode two of the Bake and Awake Show, a show where we explore our relationships with cannabis and how we are able to use it in our lives here in a legal weed state, that being beautiful Washington State here in the Pacific Northwest. While we're here enjoying and learning about our favorite herb, we'll also have fun discussing conspiracies and mysteries of all stripes. We're going to talk about a lot of off-the-wall topics here. Some of them may even be a bit disturbing at times. Let's remember that this show is intended for adults to enjoy and probably not very suitable for children or even teens. We love you teenagers. We'll see you guys soon. Just want to take a quick moment to introduce myself once again. I'm your host, Steve Kaminsky. live here in South Seattle, work in the Tacoma area in the sales team of an I-502 legal cannabis grow, Um, family man, motorcycle lover, uh, and uh, if anything, I might describe myself as an armchair philosopher. Uh, I hope to bring you a continuously improving series of content here that is of interest to us both, myself and you, the listener, viewers, in the case of video programs. I pledge to do my best for you to remain focused and on our stated format while allowing the show to evolve naturally to whatever it becomes. I'll try very hard to keep a level of perspective and distance between myself and the subject matter, the better to maintain an objective tone, allowing you, the listeners and viewers, to form your own conclusions. While I'm not a paid researcher or formal academic, I consider myself reasonably well-read, and I'll endeavor to establish that for the audience throughout the shows as we cover diverse subjects in the mystery, occult, conspiracy, lost history realm, in addition, obviously, to our cannabis-related content. I thank you for listening, watching, liking, and subscribing, and I welcome all your comments, emails, or direct messages from any platform that you happen to be finding me through. Speaking of which, you can easily find me uh, for a start on Instagram or YouTube by searching Baked and Awake. I'm going to start off this episode with a uh, recurring or hope to be planned recurring uh, segment, that being the events calendar. And uh, I'm just going to briefly touch upon the fact that here in Seattle this weekend, we have um, the Hemp Fest Cannabis Festival, which is a uh, one of the longest running, if not the longest running and um, biggest cannabis legalization advocacy uh, rallies that is held in the United States, in North America every year. And uh, it's a destination event. People come from all over the Pacific Northwest and probably further for it year in and year out. Uh, I want to say they're uh, approaching, if not have exceeded 20 years uh, by now. And uh, I'm just going to briefly bring up their web page if I can manage to do it without crashing my poor little laptop here while we're also recording. Yeah, so we have it, you know, starting tonight, uh, Friday the 18th of August, goes through Sunday the 20th. Um, I may spend some time at the Woke Washington booth, which is a uh, booth uh, staffed and uh, organized, well, it's an organization organized and founded by my friend Andrew Saturn, a uh, local from the uh, Columbia City area, 
Columbia City area, who um, is a member of the scooter and uh, motorbike community around here, uh, just like myself. Uh, great guy, very progressive uh, fellow, and uh, just really doing a lot of uh, progressive advocacy and hard work here in the local area. Um, they are getting people registered to vote at Hempfest all weekend long, so uh, go by, and if you're in Seattle, if you're going to the event, um, pop by the Woke Washington booth, give them a high five you know, say thanks for all your hard work. Uh, if you're not registered for some crazy reason to vote, I think it goes without saying that, you know, this is a, a great time to begin to get involved in uh, your politics at the local level. Um, couldn't be more important right now. Uh, so uh, Hempfest, though, super, super uh, cool event. Uh, you know, when we go to their page here, which is hempfest.org, um, they have a history tab, and uh, we'll give them a moment of... Uh, you know, understanding here. Yeah, they, they, they started in 1991, you guys. Okay, and I graduated high school dating myself here in 1992. Uh, and I want to say I attended one of the earlier ones, probably not the first year, you know, sometime in the first uh, couple of years after high school, uh, 93, 94, something like that. I went and checked it out. It was already big back then. It's gigantic now. Thousands of people show up to Myrtle Edwards Park in Seattle and are, are there all weekend long. Um, these, uh, these folks have done a lot of work for advocacy for the medical cannabis community and for legalization in general. Um, we, uh, you know, really get one opportunity a year to celebrate uh, on this level the, the lifestyle that we all enjoy so much. Uh, there's music at this event. There are uh, wonderful, talented speakers who have great messages, both politically and uh, just uh, generally in terms of uh, positive messages for, for the community. And uh, it's, uh, it's a great time. It's, I believe it is donation only to get in. I mean, you know, in the true spirit of the cannabis uh, community and culture, you know, they have some donation barrels out near the entrances of the events. And I think you throw a few bucks in there and you're in, you know, and uh, you see tons of crafts, tons of glassware, tons of wonderful, uh, you know, articles of clothing and other things made with hemp. Um, it's a celebration of everything you love about cannabis up at Hemp Fest. And uh, that's what's going on this weekend um, in Seattle. Probably the biggest cannabis related event of the season uh, for the general public. Um, you know, we have some other events that populate the calendar throughout the year, including things like the Canacon. Uh, conference, which is a little bit more business oriented, although they do have a uh, day for the public at that event as well. Uh, so, you know, that's the events calendar for this weekend for Seattle. Um, check out hempfest.org for information about it. It's getting going this afternoon. As I said, I'll pop by Woke Washington, say hi to those guys, may even get roped into spending an hour or two down at their desk, um, helping folks get registered. And uh, other than that, I'll be walking around. I'll be taking some photos of uh, different things that I see at the event. I'll be trying to take, um, you know, pick up some information about interesting things that uh, we may be able to discuss in the future on the show. And um, yeah, if you know me, if you're here in Seattle and you see me down at Hempfest, say hi, smoke me out. That would be great. Love to see you. All right. Um, so moving on from our events calendar getting into another new segment and this is you know again something that I hope to have as a recurring thing and, and hence I've titled it strain of the week <sighs> might be fun to have a sound effect for that in the future huh strain of the week 
yeah, that might be it. Maybe I'll just sample that. All right, anyway. <laughs> uh, so this info today on the strain of the week um, came from seedfinder.eu. Uh, I don't know of uh, another resource that I've found yet that is so on point in terms of seemingly, you know, having the information from uh, the farms and the growers who originated these strains in many instances. Uh, at the very least, there's, uh, you know, uh, rich descriptions in most cases from the uh, farms that are presently offering the strain um, on the on the you know major market on the world market. Um, Seed Finder seems to be one of the biggest authorities on this, and uh, you know so I went to SeedFinder.eu and uh, I looked up a strain that I'm not smoking this morning. Um, I but I, I have been messing with it quite a bit lately, and that's Gorilla Glue number four. Um, so. The reason why I picked this one is because I feel like it is the, um, you know, the blue dream of 2017 around here. Uh, and this, you know, those of us who have been liking Gorilla Glue have been liking it for a couple years already now for sure. Um, but it's huge right now. It's I think it's the number one strain in California dispensaries. Um, it's It's got to be in the top 10, top five up here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and I want to read you... Um, most of the description from seedfinder.eu from the first farm on the list that I pulled down that uh, was offering it on their site. And uh, so what we have here is uh, Gorilla Glue number four from a company called Anesia, A-N-E-S-I-A, Anesia Seeds. And uh, their description says this. We are proud that we can offer Gorilla Glue number four as feminized seeds. Gorilla Glue number four is at the moment, the strongest strain on earth tested 12 times with more than 30% THC. I can, par uh, side note, I could certainly attest that, you know, most of the Gorilla Glue we run into out here on the rec market is showing pretty impressive, you know, THC numbers, um, you know, mid-20s routinely. Um, so I, I can believe that for a Cannabis Cup winning, you know, version of this. Gorilla Glue was created by Josie Wales when he crossed Chemsis with his sourdub. He gave a couple of seeds to his buddy Mardog, who popped the beans years later and ended up with four phenos of the Gorilla Glue. Because of the extraordinary trichome production, they decided to take pheno number four to breed with it. We got an elite cut directly from the Standard Seed Collective and crossed, back crossed, and stabilized this outstanding strain. This variety is one of the stickiest and tastiest sativa-dominant strains in the world. That's another side note we'll come back to on this. Gorilla Glue is the kind of weed that literally gums up your fingers in big clumps when you're trying to break it up. GG number four has a piney, spicy aroma with, and a taste of sandalwood and sweet cherry. When it is consumed, it shows its enormous potency with a THC level of more than 30%. It has very clear cerebral effects, which last more than four hours. Gorilla Glue number four should only be consumed by experienced users, at least in quantity. The strain is incredibly resinous, a bane to all trimmers. GG4 got its name from its tendency to clog scissors until they are stuck. The shiny star produces a euphoric, focused, and happy high, and offers best results in a scrog grow. I'm not sure what a scrog grow is, something that we could look up try to learn about. Uh, 
so you know they have a little bit more info here on the strain and i'll leave the paraphrased excerpt in the show notes for you um i will you know just uh sort of wind down the strain of the week with a little related news about gorilla glue um like girl scout cookies before it um and probably a couple others for all i know um, gorilla glue is facing legal action from the uh creators of the actual glue product that many of us may be familiar with from, you know, our home improvement stores and our junk drawers in our houses. Um, and, you know, I find this interesting uh, because I believe the everybody doing Girl Scout cookies started like using the initials GSC to try to get around the, um, you know, push from the Girl Scouts organization to get people to stop uh, using that name in market. Um, and, you know, it's kind of understandable why you wouldn't necessarily want that association uh with your organization uh when you're the girl scouts um i'm a little more surprised about gorilla glue the company uh but you know again uh they're they may have a concern there it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out i believe the gorilla glue company offered to settle out of court i don't know what kind of precedent that sets uh you know because there's so many different people uh selling gorilla glue all across the country uh different companies you know different folks are planting seeds every day um and uh so i i don't know how you go after everybody if you're gorilla glue but you know it may be one of those things where there's plenty of enforcement in place that can just simply stop and kibosh uh you know new versions of that coming to market uh, under that same name but something to keep an eye on um more importantly the strain is really fun it uh it's definitely stony and i was going to say the one side note that um i ran across at the beginning of the uh description was them discussing that it is a, a tasty sativa sativa dominant strain uh I swear, you go across town, you buy Gorilla Glue six times in a row, you're going to get told it's a sativa-dominant strain three of the times and uh, an indica-dominant strain three of the times. So, uh, and that's, a, you know, that's really typical with hybrids uh, out there. And it's uh, interesting, you know, thing to try to navigate and figure out. Is it is it that, you know, different growers, uh, you know, believe the plant is different. Different growers are selling a plant that's actually been crossed with something else to give it a different characteristic, but preserving an older or uh, different, uh, simpler name for the strain in order to, you know, keep it more marketable. Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that, and it may be all of the above, um, but it's interesting to me. Um, weigh in in the comments please let me know if you uh, consider gorilla glue to be indica dominant or sativa dominant um when we go down to uh you know when we when we look at the top of that description they mentioned uh josie wales crossing chemsis with his sour dub so i guess the way to try to understand that a little better would be to go back and find the descriptions of chemsis sour dub understand the lineage of those two and go from there uh, to see what we're really, uh, you know, holding in our hands when we have a good example of Gorilla Glue. Um, I think it was fun to read the history and understand that the, you know, name came about for a reason, that being that it was sticky during trimming and or uh, hand handling. Uh, makes perfect sense. And, uh, you know, as is a lot of times the case, you know, when you when you come across these names, they do have a reason, as I discussed uh, previously, I think, in one of the test episodes um, when we were just getting things started. But anyway, Strain of the Week, Gorilla Glue number four, try it out.
find it where you can. It's it's just absolutely everywhere up here in the Northwest. Um, and yeah, sit down, take some time, check it out, enjoy it. Let us know what you think, especially if you haven't messed with Gorilla Glue before. All right, so um, we are moving into our continued timeline of the history of hemp usage and cultivation. Uh, we left off at the end of episode one at the uh, transition between um, the before the common era and the common era, which uh, I did look that up as uh, we were discussing it briefly last time. And indeed, BCE slash CE are the modern day replacements for the former uh, designations of BC and AD, uh, those uh, initials respectively standing for Before Christ and Anno Domini, which was Year of Our Lord um, in, I believe, Latin. So uh, when we when we move to BCE and CE as designations for that demarcation of time, it does refer to the same uh, time period and demarcation being the time period during which it is believed Jesus Christ was born and lived. Um, what archaeologists and historians, etc., wanted to be able to do was refer to that time and that um, demarcation without, you know, invoking the name of God. So we have before the Common Era and the Common Era, uh, and I, I like that a lot myself. So. Uh, anyway, so here we are, jumping back into our hemp history. In the year 100 CE, we have Hua Tuo, a Chinese physician, noted the medical analgesic properties of cannabis. Also in 100 CE, construction of Samaritan gold and glass paste stash box for storing hashish, coriander, or salt was buried in a Siberian tomb. I don't know how they know they buried it back in 100 CE. Maybe they dug it up later. Somebody left a note. I don't know. Uh, bouncing back slightly, 23 to 79 CE, Pliny the Elder, the natural history, mentions hemp rope and marijuana's analgesic effects. Pliny the Elder is a uh, noted philosopher of that era, and uh, I want to say <clears throat> that uh, Pliny the Elder and Pliny the Younger are both really delicious IPA craft brews that you can get um, up here in the Northwest. I'm not sure who makes them, but you look up Pliny the Elder and Pliny the Younger um, anywhere around here in Washington State, and you're probably going to get the first Google result will send you to a brewery where you can try one or both of those beers. Pretty damn tasty. Okay, 47 to 127 CE, so another, you know, chunk of time. Plutarch mentions Thracians using cannabis as an intoxicant. Plutarch, another historian slash philosopher of the era. Um, so Thracians were using it to get high back in 127. Yeah, boy. All right, and uh, so in 70 CE, Dioscorides, a physician in Nero's army, lists medical marijuana in his pharmacopoeia. Um, very nice. He was already compiling texts about medical remedies at that time for posterity. 
100 CE, imported hemp rope appears in England. 105 CE, a legend suggests that Sai Lun invents hemp paper in China, 200 years after its actual appearance. See 100 BCE above. You'll have to go back to episode 1 for that. 130 to 200, Greek physician Galen prescribes medical marijuana. 200 CE, first pharmacopoeia of the East lists medical marijuana. Chinese surgeon Hua To uses marijuana as an anesthetic. 300 CE, a young woman in Jerusalem receives medical marijuana during childbirth. 570 CE, the French queen Arnegund is buried with hemp cloth. 500 to 600 CE, the Jewish Talmud mentions the euphoriant properties of cannabis. All right, people are getting hip now. They know what they know what it's for. 850, Vikings take hemp rope and seeds to Iceland. 900, Arabs learn techniques for making hemp paper. 900 to 1000 CE, scholars debate the pros and cons of eating hashish. Yush Use spreads throughout Arabia. 1000 CE hemp ropes appear on Italian ships. Arabic physician Ibn Washiyas, yeah, Washia, Ibn Washia, on poisons, warns of marijuana's potential dangers. 1000 CE English word hemp is first listed in the dictionary. 1090 to 1124. In Khorasan, Persia, Hassan ibn al Sabah recruits followers to commit assassinations. Legends develop around their supposed use of hashish. These legends are some of the earliest written tales of the discovery of the inebriating powers of cannabis and the use of hashish by a paramilitary organization as a hypnotic. In parentheses, see U.S. military use, 1942, below. We'll get there. Early 12th century hashish smoking becomes very popular throughout the Middle East. 1150, Muslims use hemp to start Europe's first paper mill. Most paper is made from hemp for the next 700 years. 1155 to 1221, Persian legend of the Sufi master Sheikh Haidar's personal discovery of cannabis and his own alleged invention of hashish with its subsequent spread to Iraq Bahrain, Egypt, and Syria, another of the earliest written narratives of the use of cannabis as an inebriant. 1171 to 1341. During the Ayyubid dynasty of Egypt, cannabis is introduced by mystic devotees from Syria. 1200. 1001 Nights, an Arabian collection of tales, describes hashish's intoxicating and aphrodisiac properties. 13th century, in the 13th century, the oldest monograph on hashish, Zar al-Arish fit tarim al-Hashish, was written. It has since been lost. Ibn al-Baytar of Spain provides a description of the psychoactive nature of cannabis. Arab traders bring cannabis to the Mozambique coast of Africa. 1271 to 1295 Journeys of Marco Polo, in which he gives second-hand reports of the story of Hassan ibn al-Sabah and his assassins using hashish. First-time reports of cannabis have been brought to the attention of Europe. 
In 1300, Ethiopian pipes containing marijuana suggest the herb has spread from Egypt to the rest of Africa. Man, we're talking about weed so much, I need to smoke a little weed. 1378. Ottoman Emir Sudan Sheikhouni issues one of the first edicts against the eating of hashish. Those hashashins got everybody nervous, I guess, back then. They were probably wiling out. Killing people and stuff. You can hear me multitasking a little bit while we're reading this together. In 1456, the Gutenberg Bible was printed on hemp paper. Understandably. 1484, persecution of witches began in Europe, and cannabis was demonized once again as it was an essential part of their witchcraft. Let's do a little witchcraft real quick here. Being super lazy, just puffing a little bowl here. It's more morning time right now, about 8.30 a.m., and we're going to put this out later this afternoon, um, probably post it at 4.20, and, you know, we'll try to do as many episodes as we can at 4.20 and have 4.20 together. Um, because of my plans for later this afternoon and going down to Hempfest and stuff like that, I figured this would greatly uncomplicate my day, so hope nobody minds too much. Um, should be interesting to see how this audio does versus the video uh, content as well from last episode, but I do expect we'll do a lot more audio than video and make video an occasional enrichment to the feed overall, uh, even though we started on video initially on YouTube. Um, the plan here is to, you know, bring this into a, a bit more of a podcast format, so... All right, we left off with those poor witches in 1484. Jumping forward to 1526, Babur Nama, the first emperor and founder of Mughal Empire, learned of hashish in Afghanistan. So, Babur Nama in 1526. Never heard of the Mughal Empire. Um, Afghanistan, we'll have to learn more about those folks in that period. 1532, French physician Rabelais, Gargantua, and Pantagruel mentions marijuana's medicinal effects. Um, Pantagruel, Gargantua, and Pantagruel. What an interesting sounding title for what sounds like a, uh, you know, medical codex of some kind. 1533, King Henry VIII fines farmers if they do not raise hemp for industrial use. Wow. Raise it or you're in trouble. 1545, explorers find, quote, wild hemp in North America, with superfluous ease on the end of both of those words. 1549, Angolan slaves brought cannabis with them to the sugar plantations of northeastern Brazil. They were permitted to plant their cannabis between rows of cane and to smoke it between harvests. In 1550, the epic poem, Bank Ubod by the poet Mohammed Ibn Suleiman, Foruli of Baghdad, 
deals allegorically with a dialectical battle between wine and hashish. Battle as old as time. All right, that takes us through into the 1500s. We've carried, we've you know covered about 500 years of cannabis history there uh, in about 10 minutes, and I think that's probably about all most of us can stand for today. So we will pick up next episode in 1563 with the Portuguese physician Garcia de Ortega reporting on marijuana's medicinal effects. And we will continue our journey through the cannabis history until we get through the modern era. And we'll see how many episodes that really does take. All right. So, uh... Wrapping up cannabis history, we're going to uh, just briefly touch upon a smoking tip uh, for fun, another hopefully recurring segment, and uh, you know I'm sure there'll be a little repetition here and there over time with these tips, uh, but you know get you know deal with the practicality just a little bit, get things uh, you know get some good habits going. So uh, clean your water pipes regularly. Mold, bacteria, and particulates all build up in there in just a few short sessions. For this reason, clean water in your piece is crucial to healthy enjoyment. Clean glass not only tastes better, but allows the water, your filtration medium, to function, pro- function properly. Keeps contaminants out of your lungs. And remember, never dab a hot nail, kid. All right, if you've made it this far into the show, I really just want to take a moment and say thank you so much for spending some time with me today. This project is an experiment and a journey, and while it is mostly something for me personally, I am trying to make content that is of value to anyone who manages to find me. Your slightest interest, your likes, comments, these mean a lot to me and help keep me going on this path. We're just getting started, though, so please return again to see how we're doing over here. Share the channel and my Insta with your friends. And please, email or comment below to share your ideas for strains to try or mysteries to explore. Chances are we'll give them a try and probably shout you out when we do. I switch between I and we sometimes because, as you might imagine, nobody does this alone. Again, I thank my wife, Nicole, for all of her support and production assistance. I remain grateful to my friend Norman Peterson of the MTB Jumper podcast for his continued support and mentorship. Finally, I'm excited to be talking about the show with my good friend, Paul Luke, who we hope will be joining us soon in the studio for an upcoming episode, maybe more than one. Exciting things are coming, everyone, and I'm stoked to share them with you. For now, like it, subscribe to it, share it with your mama. Until next time, smoke indica. Do shit anyway.